Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, I'm meeting with Jean-Charles Valge, one of the co-founders of Cover and a great friend of mine. In 2016, Jean-Charles co-founded Cover with Quentin Coleman. Indeed, after spending part of his career in the private equity industry, half of his time in Europe and the other half in Hong Kong, he decided to become an entrepreneur. Jean-Charles started as a consultant at Baines & Co., then joined the largest Benelux fund and PM Capital before moving to Red Horse in Hong Kong. Jean-Charles tells me that he runs today the world's first insurance as a service platform. Let's dive in and find out what that means. I'm so pleased today to be, to be with Jean-Charles Verge. So thank you very much to be with us today, Jean-Charles. Hi, Sabine. It's a pleasure to be here today. How are you? I'm feeling, I'm feeling extremely well. I'm traveling again, which is interesting. I'm happy to be on the podcast. Just for the, for the people listening, the interesting part here is that Sabine and I, we met back in 2016, I think it was at the first ever ITC in Las Vegas. So we're, I think, the, in the first batch of people really thinking about what is the future of insurance? What does InsurTech look like? What's embedded insurance and so forth? So yeah, happy to be here, uh, you know, five, six years down the line. Honored for, for, for us to be talking together and exactly five, six years down the line. So I cannot wait to uncover what Cover has been doing for the past few years. <laughs> so Jean-Charles, my first question to you is, what does this mean to be the first world insur insurance platform as a service in the world? Well, yes, I think we, we clearly pioneered in InsurTech uh, at Cover. So as we said, in, in 2016, we were a handful of companies um, thinking globally or, um, about what it really does to move the needle in InsurTech. And there's, as you know, there's many different uh, uh, business models that you, in how you can attack uh, the value chain in insurance. And where we tried to be really innovative was on the business model itself and how to transform the insurance industry thanks to technology, not just how to distribute a product or how to use part of the technology stack to, uh, to enhance the processes of an insurance company, but how to change the industry by applying technology. And that's what we've built. We've built that, uh, that platform, that technology platform that is linked with the full regulatory and insurance infrastructure to do ins insurance at scale across Europe with open APIs first. And uh, I think the model is more valid today than it ever was. Um, we were probably early to the market, uh, but when I look at insurance companies today, uh, what comes out of all their strategic discussions it, is that what we've built typically, that digital MGA sitting in front of traditional balance sheets, is one of the models or one of the preferred models that they look at today as the future of insurance. So what we do today is more valid than ever. Absolutely. And before we dive too early into cover, I would like to introduce you a little bit more, Jean-Charles. So 
you know, you have been working in industry for a very long time. You have been in the equity market. Can you tell us a little bit more about you as Jean-Charles and why Jean-Charles came about with Quentin Colma um, to work together as a founding team of Cover? Yes, so um, the story of Cover is the story of Quentin and myself, uh, very much uh, the two of us. So we co-founded together in 2016. Um, our, we basically had both very traditional careers, I would say. We, we met on, at university uh, back in 2017 and uh, studied finance, as you did in 2016, 1617, uh, uh, right before the financial crisis. And um, Quentin went after university into uh, insurance at Allianz, and I went to uh, more the financial industry. I did private equity first year in Europe and then uh, for half of my career then, and then the rest in, in Hong Kong. Um, so, so very much financial. What the interesting part was that uh, I touched nearly every business model possible with my, my career in finance, except for um, the insurance industry. And so when we started talking with Quentin, I found it incredibly interesting to see how, how the insurance industry could be, could be transformed. And we started talking about it um, back in 2015 and then uh, left everything and started in 2016 with Quentin. Um, to try and change it. And the interesting part is both of us knew that we had something entrepreneurial, but we didn't consider ourselves entrepreneurs before that. And we both basically jumped both foots uh, and learned to swim and do it uh, while we were doing it. So that's the, an interesting thing. So, it's often what happens, right? Um, I think the beautiful thing to work with for myself, with entrepreneurs, is you have this energy of, you know, focusing on outcomes and wanting to change the world and um, wanting to do that with very limited resources. You know, when we were working in big companies, we had everything we needed, right? <laughs> and so you have to change your mindset around um, how you use resources, how you use people, how do you actually focus always on outcome so that you can minimize how much you can use, right, resources to achieve the outcome? Tell me, what are you showing me right now? What I'm trying to show is what's written on this, this room here um, in, in, in the other way around, this hacking insurance. It's a bit what you said, something that we used since the beginning of the, of the company is how can we hack insurance? How can we really tackle and hack and make it as efficient as possible, as smartly as possible. And that's exactly to your point that you were making. So it's in the, in the DNA of cover, I would say. That's superb. And, you know, scouting for growth is about democratizing the life hacks of people like you. So Jean-Charles, I was reading in one of the presentations you shared with me that the essence of insurance is to provide financial stability and peace of mind. Can you tell us more what that means for you? Yes, very much so. And I think it's, it's one of the most important pieces here is that along the way, insurance lost itself in a certain way. If you go back to what really makes insurance special is that insurance will protect you at the moment where you're the most vulnerable. And over the years with, you know, all the administration that has been built around it, some of the at claims experiences and, and so forth, this has been forgotten. 
but the essence itself of insurance is to be there when you need it. And that's what we need to rebuild and make it possible. And I think that technology in that sense is extremely well-placed to make it happen and make it happen at scale in a very pinpointed way. Um, and that's the philosophy that we have at Cover is to always build the best policies possible with the best coverage possible, with the best service possible. And that's what the industry needs to build to gain the confidence of the um, consumers back, which in a certain way might have been lost along the way. And it is lost along the way, probably because of some of the words I've found in some of the content your team shared with me, you know, caring for users and customers, building social resilience and safety, and, you know, being there when something happened. And I guess what technology does today is enabling that in a seamless and friction-free manner. Yes, completely. And what's really interesting also is that you see that insurance it can be extreme, well done, well done insurance can be extremely valuable across the whole value chain of many different industries. Um, insurance can be used by industries to, to make your product in a certain way more sticky, to have a better um, conversation with your customer, to have better touch points with your customers, to be there when your product, when something fails around your product and that you have to make it up. And all those stories, user stories, are very valuable and have to be placed uh, again in front of the insurance value chain. And that's what we try to do with, with all our partners and our, for our final customers. So tell us a little bit more about your partners and final customers. You are a very different organization because you've built uh, infrastructure and a, a solution which enables you to build products for anyone but insurance, right? Yes, that's correct. So we, we went from the idea when, when started cover to say that tech is not a vertical anymore. Tech is that horizontal that goes through all the verticals of the economy. And when you look at all the winners on that tech horizontal going through the verticals of the economy, well, all those people, all those companies, they all need insurance, either to embed insurance, uh, to enhance their products, either to cross-sell insurance, upsell insurance. And for them, insurance needs to be two things needs to be digital, and it needs to be cross-border. And what we've built to that is a platform that's basically a digital native insurance company without a balance sheet that can build any non-live insurance product, so for any of those verticals, in any different country, okay? So that's cross-border from, from day one. And so we, we touch uh, quite a bit of industries. We've historically relatively strong in the gig economy where Deliveroo was one of our most uh, first uh, famous clients but we are very active in the fintech space which makes sense insurtech fintechs they're they're bound to work together um, a lot and typically there we do we do quite a bit of insurances with Revolut um, we have an excellent use case in bike insurance so e-bike insurance uh, where uh, I think will be one of, one of the biggest, well, probably the biggest e-bike insurer in the Western world in the next years, because we've built a very compelling product that works for all the countries with just one API. And uh, lately we entered the motor market, uh, mainly for electric cars. And so you see, we have a whole panel uh, where uh, we basically go after big tech companies and offer them our service so that they can seamlessly build 
digital insurance solutions uh, for their final consumers. So let's talk about the, let's call it the fintech chasm, you know, that complexity we are living in. And you mentioned already that you're working with a lot of industry, auto, food. Um, you mentioned, uh, I guess you will probably go into fashion and stuff that we don't even think about today. And you are providing that API, that single API, which can touch different countries so cross border. And so my question to you is, how do you reduce the complexity of how FinTech and incumbents works together? Good question. Um, the, the reality is that there's several things. The, the complexity of tech companies working with um, incumbents, especially in the insurance industry, is double. The first one is that tech companies are not really digital. Um, uh, insurance companies are not really digital or very sketchy so. And so it's difficult for them to build the right tools, the right stack for um, the, the, uh, the, the tech companies. And secondly, they're very much local. So uh, a traditional insurance company would you know, have a branch in the UK, would have a branch in France, in Brussels, and so forth. But those branches don't really talk to each other. So a company that wants to do cross-border insurance have to rebuild it block by block by block. So what we try to do is to marry tech and insurance. So we are as much a tech company as we are a legal and insurance company. And if you marry both together, um, you try and give, you know, be that, be that one single point of contact for your customer to be able to provide insurance digitally and cross-border and keep all the complexities at cover to make it simple, one API first for the customer. So me as a customer, I want to make this a little bit more simple for, you know, the lemon person to understand. So yep. me, you know, buying, you know, I buy, I mean, I am on Deliveroo, but I guess you're insuring maybe the, the driver. Yes. Yes. Or when you look at electric cars, you are maybe supporting the electric car manufacturer to making sure that you can actually have the embedded insurance product with a car. Tell us a little bit more how it feels like to buy cover or do we feel it at all? Well, that's the whole thing is to make it as seamless as possible and as embedded as possible. I'll make it, I'll, I'll give a little bit another example that's very easy uh, to understand is typically when you buy an e-bike, okay? If you buy an e-bike to today, which is a, a very fast growing market, um, an e-bike you will pay in average, let's say 2000 euros for an e-bike and that bike you will use it in the city to go and do your groceries, to go to work and so forth. And so you want it to be insured by nature because 2000 euros that out there in the jungle, it's something. And so what we offer is to the merchant that sell your bike online, one API. The merchant has to only integrate one API and in that API, he has the full insurance infrastructure for the whole of Europe. So that API is for, for the whole of Europe and our backend, covers backend, will handle all the complexities of doing pan-European insurance. So what the final consumer, what you will do is you will go and configure your bike, you, you configure your bike, you do your thing. And at the end, there is one big button saying you want insurance. Okay. The final consumer just has to do one click, that insurance. It's incredibly well-priced. Right? We, we have some of the best price in the market. It's a very nice insurance product. It's completely white label. And that goes into 
your card with your bike, you pay your bike with the insurance, and you're directly insured at that moment or when your bike is shipped. And so that's the most embedded thing. Before you had to go back to your broker or go back to some you know, random websites where you hope to find something. And here it's one standardized insurance product that works for the whole of Europe. Um, and uh, where we've linked at Cover the best customer uh, experience possible. And so we handle most of the claims uh, internally at Cover to make sure that at the moment of truth in insurance, is at the moment of um, um, claim, that we can do this as, as best as possible. And this is embedded insurance. So that is interesting because um, you mentioned white label, you mentioned the one touch button and a seamless experience and you are managing claims. So is it why that, you know, I heard you have achieved a 95% customer satisfaction. Tell us how you get those numbers, Jean-Charles. Well, well, because, because we have a, an incredible team here to start with, okay? Uh, <laughs> we handle all the claims centrally from Brussels for the whole of Europe, okay? And so we do that with uh, insurance clerks that come from all over Europe and they're here centrally. We speak, I think, natively more than 12 or 13 languages and we handle that. We do that as digitally as possible, but you can still always call us. And that's a feature that will stay for a very long time in insurance because when you need insurance, you basically are at the moment where you're stressed or whatever, your bike was stolen, you just fell from your bike, so you need some human touch there. Um, so what we do is we extensively survey our customers to understand what we can do better, okay? We digitalize to the max whatever makes sense to be digitalized, and then we, we just have very streamlined processes. The fact that we own it internally is a very important thing. Very, very few uh, insurtechs do that. Normally they work with TPAs, third-party administrators. We've done that in the past. It's, it's challenging because you don't own it then. I don't say it doesn't work, but you don't own it. That's why we do uh, most of it internally at Cover to own the whole process. And when we see there's something to be fixed, we can go and fix it and have it fixed in the next 24 hours. And that just, I would say, very much um, um, a focus on, on quality and on operational excellence. And to achieve operational excellence, you need more understanding as to how the customer responds to your process. So yes, if you're actually using SLAs and actually have to wait for a change of the process, then you're actually damaging your customer relationship with them. Then it's too late. To be yeah. honest, then it's too late. It's too late, right? Yeah. And, and you also need to have a consistent uh, approach across the different countries. I'll give you an example is, if a, a buy customer works with cover or a delivery company works with cover, all the claims coming either from Lithuania, from France, from the UK, from Sardinia, whatever, they will all come here and will receive the same kind of um, attention and, and service. Whereas when you work with traditional insurance companies, one of the claims will be handled in Lithuania, the other ones in France, and the other ones in the UK, and the other one in Italy. And the service level you might expect from those difference are, is very different. And the knowledge of those countries about that specific program is very different. That's why it's very challenging for TPAs and insurers to actually have a decent claims experience that is consistent across the board. And that's exactly what we do at Cover. And that's why we have those 95%. 
So you say European, cross-border. How far do we go across the world, Jean-Charles? <laughs> the vision is global, that's for sure. Um, then, then there is the execution on the, on, on the vision. Um, I think we'll dip our toes um, into the U.S. market relatively soon, uh, but in a, in a light touch way, uh, but so that we learn from it. Uh, we have a lot to do in Europe to start with. Um, the, the, the next logical market would be the U.S. for sure. But uh, again, um, we'll, we'll do that in a light touch uh, approach in the next months, uh, I would say. And then we'll see... Uh, if, it, if it's worthwhile to, do, to go all in in the, in the US. But at least the Western world is, is, is an achievable target, I would say. Mm. How big is the team now? Team is, we grew quite a bit. Um, if you asked me, uh, me this question a year ago, I think we were around 50 or something, and now we are around 130. Uh, so we, we grew quite a bit. Um, we have we grew all, all across Europe, like everybody, we're hiring a bit everywhere. We heavily skewed toward Brussels, our historical headquarters, uh, but we have an office uh, in London that's growing very quick, quickly and then have people a bit scattered around uh, Europe. So now I want to ask you maybe a little bit of a personal question or a team question. You know, as a leader of a fast-growing insurance technology uh, platform company, how do you make sure that you remain in touch with 130 people potentially globally? And how do you implement a strategy in a, maybe I think you probably work in hybrid. So in an hybrid working arrangement environment. I think the, the, it's a difficult one, okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's clearly a difficult one, and I think many people would have different answers to this. There's not one cookbook uh, that would be too easy. Uh, the culture, culture is a big, big aspect here. Um, I would say that the master word, if, if I may put it like that, is communication. So you need really, really clear communication towards the company, very, very open communication, very honest communication, very direct communication. Uh, frequent communication. Uh, that's the first, because then you, you make sure that the whole organization knows what's happening, knows what's aligned. Okay. And then you, you need to be able to receive very quick and honest feedback from the organization for, for yourself and uh, the leadership team to actually move the company as it needs. Uh, 130 is still it's a lot without being a lot. Everybody knows, still knows each other. Um, I think that's, that will be another question. Uh, if a year from now, when we are 350, you ask me the question, I don't know. Um, but what we have a very strong com company culture. We do a lot of things together. We do quite some offsites together. We, we have quite a, um, different evenings that, that we spend together when, when people want. So there's a good tight-knit culture here uh, that I absolutely want to keep. Uh, that is very precious to me. Uh, I think we managed to keep the culture for 50 to 130, and I think we can be proud of that. Uh, let's see when we grow even bigger. Uh, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, happy to take up the challenge. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, growth is not only about challenges, but learning opportunities. Yes. But that takes me back to your starting point. You started as an embedded insurance, if I may say, proposition, delivering one-stop shop 
platform in Europe and beyond. So what was your secret sauce? I know you already talked about the API and the, the verticals you've decided to focus on. But, you know, what was the secret sauce to make it what it is today? And if you can share with us, what were your top three challenges? Um, I think one of the biggest challenge uh, that we faced is that we pioneered InsurTech, really. As we're saying, we were at the first ITC with you, Sabine, and so forth. And nobody knew how to attack this industry. And there was no part set, okay? We're now five, six years down the line and, 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 and there's more clear ways, business models that have been tried and failed or tried and worked. And so there's, the path is clearer today than it used to be. I think that the, the very hard thing was we had no, no idea how to get a risk carrier and how to have a risk carrier actually trust an tech. Um, on the tech side, nobody had ever built anything on the new tech stacks for insurance. Um, on the legal side, uh, cross-border had never been done. Okay, There was no lawyers that you could hire that knew what doing insurance cross-border actually even looked like. Um, and talking to clients, uh, they, were, they were themselves also structured country by country for insurance uh, procurement, because that's how the industry was. So we had to tackle all those things at once, in once. Um, the, the first hack that we did was that we were the first insurtech worldwide to be accepted by the Lloyds of London as a cover holder. Uh, so that, that put a big dent, I would say, and gave us quite some credibility uh, towards the, the community and towards the, the other carriers, toward our clients and so forth. That helped us quite a bit. Uh, on the tech, uh, we made all the right and wrong decisions, uh, and, and that's how you build it. Um, and then from the client side also, uh, while we were growing, people started understanding the real value of having one, one touch point for insurance, fully digital, and that's how we grew. But yes, it's um, a lot of trial and error in the beginning. And you mentioned also that you um, made a conscious decision to become an MGA. So yes. one, one question I have for you, which is coming a lot to me right now, is why the MGA model and why is this getting so sexy today when it was not, you know, five years ago, it was all about tech businesses. Now in insurance, it's like, if you have an MGA license or are you looking at, building tech with MGA is probably sexier, probably even for an investor. Tell us a bit more about that. Yes, so we, we always decided to go the MGA route from day one and, and, and how we explain, you know, splitting the value chain and so forth was about building that MGA. Um, why sit on that part of the value chain is we don't believe that as an tech, at least in the first years of your existence or, or even maybe a decade, you should build a balance sheet, okay? Uh, being full stack is very expensive, um, requires uh, capital that has very different uh, durations and, and needs for returns. So it's a difficult one to do. It's super heavy admi administrative, regulatory wise. And so it's, it's a lot of burden for a startup when you don't want to have it. 
where we don't really see the value because you can go and get capacity from multiple providers as an MGA. Um, just building some tech for insurance companies, why not? That can be very valid, but then you build like a SaaS for insurance um, companies. Um, and when you look at the value at the different business models in InsurTech, you have on one side, uh, on one extreme side, you have what I call traditional insurance with a layer of tech. Those are basically traditional brokers that use all the tech uh, uh, tech elements to do traditional brokerage, to add all the tech marketing tools, all the tech to handle the policies. That's one side. And everything is done. The other side is just to build tech for insurance companies. You build an AI for claims and so forth. And then in the middle of that, you have everything which is distribution in insurance. And there you have several business models. You have D2C, direct to consumers. Um, which has been sexy for a while. Those are the guys that probably raised the most, um, but have been proven to be relatively challenging on, on the ec unit economics point of side. Um, the CAC is relatively high, the churn is higher than, than expected and so forth. So it's a difficult one. And then you have you know, what I call the, the hardcore intertext. It's really the B2B2C type of models or the D2B type of models. Uh, where uh, you really need to marry tech and insurance together. And that's, in a, and that's the MGA model, where you can completely leverage the tech aspect, completely leverage all the different balance sheets behind. And so you can offer the best pricing to your customers, the best products to your customers. And, and that's where the innovation is needed, I think. And that's the model I really like as well. So... I've seen some amazing names on, uh, you know, on your website. You're working with amazing companies, such as at Revolut or Deliveroo, Getir, which I've started using during COVID <laughs> to do my shopping. Um, yes. <laughs> as well Very as convenient. It is super convenient, right? Some days, you know, you end up working 15 hours and you still have to cook dinner. I love cooking dinner for my lovely husband. So... I will get, get here to deliver the last bits of things to get the meal. So tell us why those partners, because I assume there is also a choice for cover in the company you decide to work with. So tell us how you make choices around the partners you're working with. Yes, I think um, the logical uh, ideal customers for, for us are the tech players. As I, as I said in the beginning, this is the most relevant for people that are digital first, huh? that are tech-enabled companies, and that are cross-border companies. And typically, all the companies you mentioned are exactly that. They are tech, they have in the DNA tech, and those companies go in many countries. Uh, so in a certain way, that's a perfect match for cover uh, because we share the same D tech DNA uh, we have the same startup uh, mentality. We go as fast. We go and get the same kind of money uh, with VCs. We're fueled by the same uh, thing. And so that's a, a very natural, uh, I would say, alliance between, between those companies. Um, that doesn't say that we don't look to the traditional uh, industry. I think historically, the traditional or legacy industry was more reluctant to work with newer players that is changing and changing fast. And Cover also is now a more mature company where we can have a lot to show for. And so they trust us more than in, in, in the beginning, I would say. Um, so 
whereas it was very hard to do the traditional business a couple of years ago, this has changed. And so there's a huge time, a huge market behind uh, for us to go and, and replace traditional insurance companies or work with uh, more legacies and bring them the tech and those cross-border uh, capabilities they badly need. If you had three recommendations to give to the young entrepreneur wanting to build his tech company, what would there be? <laughs> There's many things. Uh, and a lot of them come, come, come quite, a, quite a bit back um, uh, during the different talks. But um, if, first of all, it's simply if you have the desire to do it, if you feel it, that, that it's something you want to do, just do it. Uh, just, just jump and you'll learn how to swim. And what I say is, even if you have a, a good job somewhere, whatever, the entrepreneur always wins. What I mean by that is, if you jump and, and you learn to swim, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very tough. You're going to have the impression to drown many, many times. But at the end of the day, you will have done it. And even if it doesn't work, 12 24 months down the line, you will have learned so much that even if you go back to the traditional world, you will have exploded your network. You will be much more knowledgeable about a thousand and one other things. And so if you have the desire to do it, just do it. And, and, and there's nothing to be lost, honestly. Um, so that's the first. Um, the second one is, uh, yeah, do it with the right people. Um, so many people say that's easy to said than done, but that's the reality. A company is just, you know, a sum of different people working hard together. And so those people uh, need to be, you know, good karma people that you like working with that are the best in, in whatever. Just take a lot of time to choose the people uh, you work with. And, and, and that seems logical, but it's, it's hard. It's very hard to do. Um, that's the second. And if you want a third one is uh, go big and go bold. <laughs> it's more fun. <laughs> and I can see that with the, the things you've done with, with uh, Quentin. I, I think one, one thing you actually highlighted around point number two, it's about people, right? I mean, businesses still remain people businesses despite us moving digital. And really finding your, your right co-founders is key because they can make it or break it. And another point you actually highlighted is everybody needs to work really hard on the project as much as the other. No one can actually stay behind and expect that the others are going to deliver the value because you actually started building res resentment potentially. So it is very, very important to select your co-founders wisely. And for sure the co-founder and then everybody in your team, eh? Uh, and, and then they start, because also what I see now, how important that is, how to well choose your people is that when you get to that hundred mark or something, or even, maybe even before that, those people will start hiring other people and hiring full other smaller departments. And so if you made a wrong decision on that person, there is a big chance that they will make wrong decisions on all the other hires also. So that's, that's so critical. And just, just spend a lot of time in that, especially in the hiring, just 
just uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes at one point in the company, I think like hiring was like fifty percent of my job. Wow. Okay. So you had to make really tough choices and good choices for the growth of the company. I say fifty percent. I don't know, but it was you know quite quite a bit of our time when you when you're when you're growing and yeah. you need to hire a lot of people. Well, you have to continuously be recruiting or actually connecting with people and identifying your next, if you don't mind me saying your next target in the world we are in today. I mean, you know, in the UK, it's very, very hard today to to find talent and recruit talent. And because uh, people want to join companies with purpose, and in some ways, I would say with choice, what you find is a lot of businesses right now are struggling to find the talent they, they need to grow their businesses. So, you know, everything needs to be really thought through very carefully. My next question for you, though, is now we talk about talent, looking at the future. What are you, would be your three top recommendations as to where you see us going? You know, the other day I was so I mean, it was great. I met one of the executives of Meta and she really impressed me with um, the view she had around how the metaverse is going to impact us, help us. We will see. So what's your views of where we are going? Future Tech 101 with Jean-Charles. <laughs> um, I love, I'd love to say that I'm a visionary, but I have no idea on that. Um, no, Um on the meta, I have no clue, to be honest. I have n- not seen anything. I'm going to do a speech next week in the metaverse. We'll see what that gives. I think it's just going to be with, uh, with the glasses, but that's something else. Um, I think what, what you will continue to see is the disruption uh, that will come from uh, tech companies towards the legacy and and the difficulty for the legacy is really the recruiting part that we that we were saying before is that we have a huge chunk of the talent worldwide that goes now to tech okay and this is this is not something that can be changed anymore this is the wave that has moved and that will continue to move and so all the talented people coming out of the university today they don't want to be a banker they don't want to be a lawyer anymore they want to you know be the founder of a company or join a fast growing company and that's for the better uh 10 times better um uh, so so in that broad sense tech is here to stay in a big way for sure um so that's not going to change um then you have the different tech stacks um i'm not an expert in web 3.0 to be honest um I do crypto like everybody. I do. I read a lot about Web Point Three Zero, um, but it's not, it's not my, my 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 biggest point. I think we'll go much further in what I know the intertech world. In as you start to have open banking, you will have open insurance, um, and the API spills uh, play a, a big role in that, and will continue to play a role in that. Um, but that's where we're going. Um, it's, it's a much more open uh, insurance world uh, uh, fueled by technology. So Jean-Charles, my last question for you. Looking at Jean-Charles today and what you achieve and where you are, if you were talking to Jean-Charles when he was five years of age, what would you tell him about his path and his future? Oh, introspective questions. <laughs> um, 
uh, be a good person along the way. That's great words of wisdom. Thank you, Jean-Charles. So if people want to find you, what do they do? Where do they go? Shoot me an email. Or if you don't have it, connect me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Tell us, are you tell us our e your email? Are you happy if I put it at the bottom of the podcast? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. JC at cover.com. Yeah. Perfect. Spam you, spam me if you like. Parfait. We will spam Jean-Charles <laughs> with great question, but hopefully with um, great inspiration as well around how you build a great insurtech in the world of the future. So Jean-Charles, merci pour être avec moi aujourd'hui. Merci Sabine. Et uh, merci d'avoir partagé une vue sur Cover. Thank you for having shared something about Cover with us all today. Merci pour tout, Sabine, et à très bientôt. Très bientôt. Bye. Salut. Au revoir. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.